Welcome to the show, folks. This is Wrestling Changed My Life. Here we go. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time, that's good wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. My guest today is one Nancy Schultz who was married to the late Dave Schultz. Maybe you've heard of him. Seven-time World Olympic medalist, one of the great ambassadors of our sport of all time. This was recorded in the spring of 2018 under the old name of the podcast, and it's not out there anymore. And I wanted to bring it back to the corners of the interwebs from the archives, and here it is. Nancy Schultz talking about the life of the great Dave Schultz. You know the drill fan of the week. And this one goes to Ross Bartacek. That's at Ross Bicek. He's the editor for IE Russell and has been a, a follower of the podcast. I'm actually a fan of his podcast as well. So check him out. Ross, thank you for tuning in, brother. Now, without further ado, let's take you to this conversation with Nancy Schultz. Thank you all. Peace. All right, Nancy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Ryan. It's really a pleasure to be here. Hey, it's, it's really my pleasure. I'm, I'm super excited for this. Um, and as we've, we've talked about, I really want to introduce Dave to the listeners and hopefully uncover some, some cool stories that maybe aren't out there. I, I think just to start, um, you know, one area that I haven't found a lot about is Dave's childhood. So just talk us like, what was Dave's childhood like? Sure. Um, well, Dave was, had struggled when he was early. He had dyslexia. So his early uh, school days were a little rough. He wasn't very successful at school, and there wasn't the kind of knowledge about dyslexia and learning disabilities back then. So he was ridiculed by his, you know, fellow peers in school, also by some of the teachers, you know, who'd accuse him of not trying and stuff. And it turns out Dave was brilliant. His IQ was ridiculous, and he was a very intelligent young man. But but they just the dyslexia and the reading part, you know, showed itself. And he was a little heavy. In fact, his first nickname, I think, when he was in grade school was Tubby Tuba, <laughs> which I'm sure. So he was having this trouble. He was getting pushed around in school. He was not doing that well. And a PE teacher saw him, had been um, re researching how different types of physical environment can help kids with dyslexia. There's some motor skills that help um, produce some, some left-right you know, um, patterns in the brain by certain skills. And so he, this, I think Dave was in sixth grade going into seventh and this teacher suggested, he said, I think you'd be good at wrestling. 
and I think it would be good for you, not only physically, but for your brain. And uh, Dave said he walked into a wrestling room and just, he said, as soon as he walked in, he knew that's where he was going to spend the rest of his time. He just fell in love with the whole idea of wrestling and he took to it just so naturally. He just, he had a very mathematical, analytical brain. And in fact, if you hear him clinic, he'll often use terms like fulcrum and, you know, weight distribution and, and things like that. So he, he really was kind of this Michelangelo breaking things down into mathematical parts for wrestling technique. And I think that's what drew him to it. Um, Dave always liked to say that wrestling was more like chess than anything else, you know, strategy moves and, yeah. and counter moves. So, um, so yeah, so his young childhood. And then once he hit that wrestling room, he just took off. He really took off. And, um, you know, he went to Tbilisi when he was still in high school and took a true Crazy. silver. Crazy. Yeah, at 17, he went to Tbilisi and took a true silver, which there used to be this weird uh, metal system because there were so many, you know, wrestlers from the Soviet Union in it that they would only give one a medal in each weight. So you could actually be 10th, but take a bronze, you know, because they'd only give one Soviet. But he actually took a true silver, which meant he was really second place in a tournament at 17 years old. And that, I don't know if it had been done before, no, um, but it was no. really, really rare. And I think it's, and that's, you know, probably the equivalent to the Ariga now, or it, if the tournament's still around, I'm not sure if it is, but that's one of the I think, I think it was tougher. I think it was actually tougher because mm-hmm. you had all of those countries, you know, under one roof. It was, it, uh, anyway, but it was, wow. it was, it was the toughest tournament in the world, you know, for sure. Yeah. And Right. And here's something interesting. While he was gone, the, I don't know, the state qualifying tournament in California took place. So he missed it. And the high school coaches uh, in California voted that he could not participate in the state tournament because he had missed the qualifier. Because <laughs> they didn't really want him in the tournament. So Joe DeMio at Stanford was at Stanford University and Chris Harpel was at Palo Alto High School. And their coach, uh, Coach Ed Hart got together and created a petition um, and ended up getting him back into the state tournament where he won the California state title. I mean, it's, it's amazing that someone who starts something in seventh grade, you just six years later, they're wrestling at the toughest tournament in the world that a lot of American senior level athletes didn't even place that ever. And he gets second right away, um, has that amazing senior year, um, wins the, the U S open in Greco wins the state title beats Chuck Yagla at the, uh, at the I guess Midlands the, at the Midlands, which I mean, he was yeah. the, he was like the equivalent of the hot trophy winner, two time national champ for Iowa and Dave beat him as a senior in high school. So that's just right. Really yeah. crazy. Yeah, that was a, that was his, Chuck still talks about it today. He's like, everybody brings that match up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't, uh, I can't Yagla. even imagine. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yagla is a great guy. He was indu- Yagla was inducted in the hall of fame last year. And what's, I see Yagla pretty often around the wrestling mat. Well, what's interesting to me is that, you know, there are a lot of people on record talking about Dave. And, and one thing that always comes up is, you know, they really never knew what was going on between the ears sometimes because he was so enthusiastic and happy-go-lucky off the mat. But then when he got on, he was extremely serious um, and obviously wanted to win with the best of them. So, like, if you look at, you know, like, the mind of Dave Schultz, what do you think? A bit of an enigma. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like, what do you think motivated? Well, I think a lot of it comes from, I don't know if you know the rest of uh, Gene Davis. He now mm-hmm. lives in Colorado. He's part of the AAU programs. And Dave, as a young athlete, trained a lot with Gene Davis and AAU. Uh, I mean, uh, excuse me, Athletes in Action, AIA. And, okay. Pardon me. 
and um, and Gene was just like that. You know, Gene is a strong Christian. He has strong ethics and morals, but you put it on the map and he'll rip your arm off. Yep. So I think a lot of that, you know, I can be a nice person and I can be friendly, but on the map, it's, you know, war. Yeah. <clears throat> and, um, and I think, you know, there was also, Dave had this little kind of impish head game thing that he liked to play with people, you know, because he didn't need to ignite this kind of animosity or uh, anger towards his opponents. Dave, Dave didn't care whether he liked you or not, or, you know, he didn't need to hate you to wrestle you. He saw it as a game on the mat and the best man wins on the mat. doesn't matter. You don't have to dislike anybody, which a lot of people can't, you know, don't function like that. They need to work up a little bit of uh, kind of aggression, you know, towards their opponent to kind of feel like that. And Dave just didn't need that. So it allowed him this weird, you know, way of going back and forth between really being tough with someone on the mat and then being friendly or even worse, especially I can think of a funny example with Kenny, you know, Kenny to getting ready, Kenny liked his space. He liked to, you know, he wanted to keep people at distance. He got, you know, kind of had to get into a certain mental state. And Dave would always, you know, before match, go up and sit right beside him and ask him how his family was. <laughs> Kenny Monday. Go, yeah. And Kenny would go, Dave, you know, leave me alone right now. And then, you know, it'd be five minutes before they're going to wrestle. <laughs> Well, they um, had. I liked a good strategy and and stuff on the mat, and I also think mentally he had some of the same stuff going off the mat sometimes in kind of a fun, playful way because he just loved the sport so much, everything about it. Well, and, and him and Kenny Monday had some battles. What was he like oh. after a loss? Depressed. I mean. Actually, you know, it's interesting. I've talked to a lot of world and Olympic champions, you know, those ones that you peak. And after a tournament, it's sometimes, it's whether you win or lose, you, there's a down, you know, and, and, and obviously losing is worse. But there literally is, you, you put all of your energies and your focus and your emotion and all of the chemicals that allow you to compete at that level. And then the next day, it's just, you're drained. And I, I think I remember talking to Sammy Henson one time about it. And we, it was a couple of days after he'd won the world and I was talking to him. I said, are you feeling a little down? He's like, oh my God, nobody talks about that. <laughs> but everything you have in your system is just gone. You're kind of depleted chemically, emotionally. So, um, but, but after a loss, you know, he, he was very evaluative. You know, he would always evaluate exactly what he did. He'd write in his notebooks for a day, going back and looking at, you know, tapes and stuff and, you know, looking at the techniques that caused him to get into trouble. So he always evaluated it. And it's funny you say that about that post-competition lull. Uh, Michael Phelps is probably the most famous who's had issues dealing with that. And it's not even a loss to your point. It's win or loss after that. Um, right. You know, a sense of, you know, of emptiness because they were so focused on one thing. Um, but to me, it's, it's hard to imagine just from what I've read, Dave ever being depressed or anything like that. But, you know, he went through that same thing. Just like, I don't know if it's depressed. That, that might be a, a bigger term, not depressed, but okay. certainly reflective and, you know, and upset with himself. You know, I think he had all the skills. It's, you know, when you're at that level, you have the skills to do it. What did you do wrong that we weren't able to win that one, you know? But yeah. the one thing I'll say is he was very, very um, humble about his wins and losses. And I always thought that, you know, he had more of that martial arts mentality. You know, and he once said, you better be nice to everybody on the way up because you're going to see all the same people on the way back down. <laughs> so, you know, I think, I think you need to be gracious in winning and gracious in losing. And for me, it's a really important attribute. And when I was running the Dave Schultz Wrestling Club, it was something that we talked about a lot. You know, 
you don't gloat when you win and, you know, don't throw a tantrum when you lose and somewhere in between learn how to control your emotions after you're, you know, after you compete. Yeah. Now that, that, it's uh, as much of a discipline you know, as, as the other parts of wrestling. Yep, absolutely. And I love that concept of thinking of wrestling as a martial art. Just recently, I, I think that trend's picked up a little bit with the rise of jujitsu and MMA. But before that, no one really thought of wrestling as a martial art. So it's interesting you thought about that way back then even. Well, and I, and I think right now, actually, I think right now, we have a little bit of a trend of, of uh, teams. I, you know, I just went to the NCAA. I did a lot of other people. And I think I saw more um, control. Uh, respect, humility in that tournament than I've seen in a long time. And I, I, I think it falls back on, you know, the coaching that's going on and the responsibility that's being taught by some of our coaches like Tom Ryan and, and uh, you know, at Ohio State and at Penn State and some of these programs, I think they're bringing a little of that martial arts kind of mentality back into wrestling. And I think it makes us look good. Yeah, I, I actually had Tom Ryan on this show and he is, that's what really jumped out to me is that him and Kale, like those, those guys on that team, they're all just stand-up guys, like 4.0 GPAs. You know, they don't have a, a mean bone in their body, it doesn't seem like, and they're just super nice guys. So. Well, they got a little bit of a mean bone. They're winning a lot. <laughs> yeah, when they get <laughs> well, out there, But I think sure. they're producing really great human beings. Yeah, I think they're absolutely. producing well-rounded, respectable, you know, human beings, and that, that's really good for us as a sport. Yep, absolutely. Now, kind of going back to – um, Dave's athletic career, you guys were traveling a lot. I think you told me, or I read somewhere that he went to Russia like 25 or 30 times. What do you remember about yeah. those international trips back in the day? Well, I, it was Dave's devotion to getting better technically. And, you know, when he was coming up, when he was 17, 18, well, 16, 17, 18, you know, the Soviets were, the, were by far the best, you know, wrestlers on the planet. Mm -hmm. And so he early on devoted himself to spending as much time with them, around them, or over there, you know, in the in the rooms over there. So he learned the language. He spoke fluent Russian. Anytime we went on a trip, we would stay after and go other, some other place and train for a while. Um, you know, and he learned the language specifically so he could hear their techniques and what they were talking about. And then, you know, as soon as the tournament's over, he'd just go grab one of them and say, Hey, you know, grab Fedzayev. Hey, show me that trap arm gut, you know, or uh, Karchur, you know, show me that, that gut wrench or, you know, just he would he just was not shy about he just wanted to learn more wrestling all the time. So his trips to the Soviet Union, at one point he changed his stance. He literally went through a six month period where he, he changed his stance to a lower kind of flat back Russian stance that they had back then. You know, as, as rules change, certain things change. But back then, that was a little bit different stance. And so he he had back pain for about three months you know, while he altered his position and learned how to stand a little <laughs> bit different. So it was always, he was always focused on getting as much information um, from those Soviet training situations as he could. So he, he went as often as he could. And, and he, it just sounds like he loved his craft and loved getting better and improving every day. Like it's just, it just seems yeah. so obvious from reading. He it. absolutely did. You know, he had this thing that steel sharpens steel, right? You just keep the better, the, the better the workout partner, the better you're going to get, the more information. And he always had a notebook. In fact, I've got probably 50 of his notebooks, you know, packed away. He just took notes constantly and referred back to them for uh, kind of taking his own advice, if you will, with uh, training. And do you think it was notebooks on technique, on mindset, or just anything to improve his Everything. Game? It's yeah. everything. And, and then he'd have notes on, I just was reading one of them the other day. Somebody asked me a question. It made me think of one. So I went back and he's writing notes about KJ, about, you know, Kevin Jackson. 
and he's watching yeah. him compete and he's got all these notes and I'm sure, you know, he shared it with Kevin at the time, but he's got notes on other people that are competing and notes on his competitors, notes on Russian technique, notes on mental attitude, notes on what, what puts him in the right frame of mind. So he's very analytical about his training process, but he did love it. He had a pure joy um, for his sport and for all that surrounds it, for the people, for the process of learning about people, learning new languages, trying new foods, trying new liquors, you know, whatever it is. Like, it's a big picture. And I think, you know, ultimately Dave was just such a people person and liked to learn from other people. Yeah, no, that's, that's evident. And, you know, one thing you said that really piqued my interest was he took notes on what put him in the right state of mind. And I think that's such an important piece of high level, uh, high level performance, like, what can you remember for that from those journals that, like, what were his, some of well, his, yeah, it over time, you know, because he competed for so long, you know, he didn't, you know, he died when he was 36 and yeah. he was still competing. So I think what worked when he was 19 didn't work. So at one stage it was, you know, putting music on certain types of music and putting headset. Uh, at some point it was doing a pre pretty, when he was younger, really kind of a hard workout right before he wrestled instead of just warming up. As he got older, it was, he, you know, it's more about taking more time off because you don't heal as quickly. You don't, you know, you don't bound, re rebound as quickly. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the, the most interesting thing was how he, over time, adapted all these so that wrestling was still fresh and new all the time. Same as his training techniques, you know, he learned Tai Chi for a while and did that. Then he, you know, took up uh, running in, in army boots through the trees when we lived at Foxcatcher, and then he was swimming for a while, and then, you know, so he just kept um, recreating his training modes so that it didn't get stale and it didn't get boring. Yeah, no, that's, that is fascinating. Um, and then, so what do you think about those trips to, to, Russia or to I mean the USSR but some of those uh some of those republics in there like what do you think about Dave made them love him so much because I heard a story once that um the Russian fans actually booed when a Russian beat Dave in a match I don't know if that's true or if that's just folklore but no that, that's really true in fact they like threw their shoes out on the mat and everything it was really crazy I was there that year um, when was that Zander was in Russia he was little you know what it was I think it was Dave's openness in just, you know, first of all, he, learning to speak the language, not very many Americans come over and learn to speak the language. And once you learn to speak the language, you can start to communicate. And then he kept coming over and, you know, he would be very respectful of their cultures and their traditions and all that. And he's just, you know, the Russians love good wrestling. So in fact, and, and if you'll, you'll notice that if you go to a, a tournament and, you, and the Iranians are there, the Iranians will often cheer for a really great match whether it's their guy or another guy. And there's a lot of that in the Soviet, it was a lot of that in the Soviet Union is just an appreciation for great technique and, you know, good wrestling. Um, and then I think Dave, after we had Xander, you know, Dave brought Xander over to the Goodwill Games when he was three months old and let him get passed around the whole venue, you know, with the Russians. <laughs> and Xander went to Tbilisi when he was 10 years old. So I think they felt like he was sharing their family with him then, you know, and I was over there at least a dozen times. So, and then you just develop friendships. You know, like, yeah. you know, we started this call. I'm doing this tour with Anatoly and Sergey Belaglazov that's coming up. And, yeah. you know, we were over there. We knew their families. We knew their kids. We knew their political, you know, um, stances, what they were suffering through in the country. You just, you become, you know, wrestling's really interesting that way. You just become so close with people. We're, we're an interesting sport in that manner. Definitely. And it, it's such a close community. 
And that's what I love about it. And most of the people I know love about it. And I do want to get to the tour you're doing with the, the Bella Glazov. Yeah. I think that's really important to bring some of that knowledge over here, but real, real quick. So what, what was the time when Dave got beat by a Russian and he was being booed or the Russian who won was being booed by the fans. Do you remember that? It was, it was in Tbilisi and it was one of the final match. I think it was the, in the final. And it was just a really, really close call. And I think the ref may have actually, you know, given the benefit of the doubt to uh, their guy. Yeah. And I don't even remember who he was wrestling, to be honest. But it was just one of, and it happens like a lot. You know, I mean, you're no wrestling. When you're in Iran, you know, look at the World Championship. When it was held in Iran, the Iranians win. When it was held in, you know, uh, (laughs) the United States, we won. I mean, there's definitely some plan for the old home team, you know. Yeah. I think he did what a lot of refs do is if it was in doubt, give it to the home team guy. And the Russians just didn't, they didn't, they stood up and they don't boo, they whistle. And, and they, okay. they whistle, that's their boo. The booing in their Soviet Union is when you whistle. Okay. So they were whistling and then taking their shoes and throwing it at the official. He had to run out. <laughs> they just thought it was a bad call and they were looking for good wrestling. And they liked Dave. Yeah. So. Oh, that, that is such a cool story. And, and speaking of the, of the closeness of wrestling and how everyone was a family. Um, when you guys first got married, Mark actually lived with you guys. And then also a lot of the wrestlers from, internet, uh, from, uh, I don't know if like from Bulgaria or from Russia would live with you at your apartment in, in, in Norman. That had to be a crazy, uh, crazy experience for someone who wasn't that familiar. I've always owned my house with about a dozen wrestlers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. First of all, we had a studio in Palo Alto when we were at Stanford. And so, a Russian or a, a Japanese wrestler or somebody would come over and they literally sleep on a mattress in our kitchen. <laughs> and wow. then for, you know, like, uh, so that was part of that. And then when we moved, uh, the Normans was when we were still in college, we got married when we were still in college. We got married. Okay. Dave, Dave says, you want to, do you want to go to the world championships with me? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, well, then you have to marry me because you couldn't travel back then unless you were married. So that was Tuesday. We got married on Thursday. No, so, and I got to go to the, I got to go to the world championship. Oh wow, that is I didn't know yeah. that was the the story behind it. Um, yeah, I think we'd only known each other about three months, but we kind of knew that it was we 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 thought it might be temporary because we it wasn't a well thought out marriage. <laughs> three <laughs> but months. But then it turned out four wow. years four years later we recommitted, and uh, and we stayed together fifteen years when when Dave passed away. Wow, that's amazing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> one thing you don't you don't hear a lot about just because I think there's been uh, some, not conflict but just conflicting stories lately is is how close Mark and Dave were. I think with that with the um, with the big screen film that came out, um, I think there was some you just did the stories didn't really line up to what really happened. Like, can you talk a little bit about how close Mark and Dave were when you first met them? Like, did they hang out all the time or were they separate? Like, what was that like? In, inseparable. Mark and Dave were like one person. It was hilarious. So when I, I married Dave, of course, Mark was the best man. And then we all went home and got we, into our apartment together. So Mark lived with us. <laughs> they're just really close. Um, they're, they're, their childhood, they kind of got bumped around a little bit. They're, they got divorced. Uh, their parents got divorced when they were pretty young. And so they really kind of clung to each other for their support and their, um, just their emotional support as well. And, uh, so they were just really, really tight. Uh, they, and then we, we were at University of Oklahoma together. And then they both came and coached at Stanford together. And then, you know, they just trained together. It wasn't until basically Mark left Foxcatcher, which is a little bit of a mis, misinformation in the movie because 
in the movie, it shows us at Foxcatcher at the same time. And we were never at Foxcatcher at the same time. Yeah. Mark was there for yeah. about 11 months before the 88 Olympics. And then he left. And then we showed up the next year. We were there for seven years. Gotcha. And let's, let's go into that time a little bit, because that's, that's one of the most fascinating and probably the most well-documented. But um, like, what was a day in the life like for Dave when, when you guys were at Foxcatcher? Well, Foxcatcher was such a unique place. You know, you have all of these Olympic athletes, and there wasn't just wrestling there. There's wrestling, there's swimming, there's pentathlon, triathlon, equestrian. You know, so all these Olympic athletes are training and living there. And it was really this amazing energy of people pulling together and all kind of heading in their own direction for success in athletics. So the environment was really great. And especially for us that have kids, you know, these kids just jump from house to house to house like they had, you know, 20 sets of parents and aunts and uncles, so to speak, you know, so the family environment was amazing. And the training was just ridiculous, you know, because DuPont was able to put so much money into Foxcatcher, we constantly had, you know, maybe 10 to 15 athletes from other countries training in the room. And you just have that kind of influence just raises the level of wrestling. You know, you have the Bulgarians one week and then some Soviets the next week. And then you have, you know, the Czech guys and, you know, on and on and on just Japanese team coming in and you just have this power building, you know, going on all the time. Wow. And then like, you know, let's take for just a normal weekday, right? Most, most, most. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was a get up, train in the morning. You know, Dave would wake up and go for an early morning training, run, you know, uh, some, sort, some sort of uh, um, aerobic training in the morning. Then he'd come back and then he used to work in the office because as much as Dave was also competing, he was definitely part of the coaching staff at Park Sketcher. He did a lot of the coordinating who was coming in, when they were coming in, when they were airport runs, you know, he was the one that was the liaison to the foreign athletes uh, coming in and stuff. So he would always work in the, in the morning. Um, <clears throat> he used to go have lunch with the kids at school, which the principal used to have to call me and tell me to take my big kid home. He's causing trouble over at the cafeteria. No so way. <laughs> Yeah, he would come in and go like ice cream for everybody and just cause total chaos. So a couple of times the principal, uh, Tom Cook, would call and say, can you come and get Dave? I can't get the kids to come in from recess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Wow. So, anyway, yeah. And then come back, you know, and then you have, he used to kind of maybe do some weightlifting in the afternoon sometime at some point. And then, of course, you have, you know, the three, three thirty, four practice. Dave was notoriously known for being extremely late, which left people frustrated. <laughs> and then, you know, by seven or eight, he was home and got to put, you know, dinner together and have to take the kids to school. But then there's a lot of travel. You know, Foxcatcher team competed a lot. So he competed a lot. And when he wasn't competing, he was, you know, he was coaching the team. And got he coached it. a lot of U.S. teams for a while. You know, he took several U.S. teams over to the Soviet Union and different countries. So he, yeah. was, he was busy coaching as well as competing. Man, those stories are just awesome. Um, so I want to shift into a couple rapid fire questions. Um, so these are these are more quick hitting. So true or false that Dave once climbed the Golden Gate Bridge? True. <laughs> All right, now I gotta go a little bit deeper because I used to live. <laughs> you said quick. <laughs> I know, but I used to live in San Francisco, and I ran across the Golden Gate Bridge several times. What What do you know about that story? Well, I, from the bottom, from the bottom where the road goes across, but it's still hard. Yeah. And they use the same, like, you know, it's where the painters and the repair people use. There's, like, rungs, but it's yep. really, really, it's really, I mean, first of all, you can be arrested. Yeah. Second, <laughs> you know, it's, um, so 
it, it was crazy. He did it with a couple of friends and I'm not going to, I'm not going to say names. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't add them here. <laughs> they, they were wrestlers. They're other wrestlers. They'll know who they are when they listen to the podcast. Oh my there God. Was a, there, was a, there was a few of them. So they made it and they made it safely back down. That so that's just, a true statement. That's just awesome. He, was, okay. he had a little bit, he was a bit of an adrenaline junkie. He liked to go, you know, bungee jumping, rock climbing, skydiving. He went skydiving with, a. Oh, I'm going to, um, I'm not going to be able to stand. No, Don Briggs. Okay. Used to be at Northern Iowa. So he, okay. he liked to do, he liked to push the limits a little bit on the whole adrenaline thing. Gosh, it sounds like it. Um, what I think just a, a follow-up to that is obviously the guy, he wasn't like a typical Iowa style guy where he only wrestled and that's all he cared about. He had a lot of interests. What were some of his, you know, hobbies or passions that people might not know about? Yeah. He, he, he learned to shoot. He was, he was at the Olympic Training Center one year, and he went to shoot with the shooting team, you know, the, and he learned how to shoot really well. So he had a collection of probably of 20 kinds of guns, and he learned how to be an excellent shooter, and he trained with some of the Navy SEALs that were out part of DuPont's uh, team of protection sometimes when they come out. Wow. Um, he was a big bike rider. He liked to ride bikes. He rock climbed. He, he um, did, made his own bullets. For a lot of his guns, he learned how to do that. Um, he did Tai Chi. He did, so about every three or four years, he'd change up and pick a new hobby and become excellent at it. <laughs> wow, that's cool. And then what about yeah. uh, last, last uh, rapid fire here is, you know, sure. what, um, what are some of the books you would read? Not about wrestling, but like, you know, I always ask people like what personal development books they read and, and Tom Ryan has a list of them, but do you remember any books in particular that he read or that were really influential to him? Yeah. One of his most important books he read was um, uh, Samurai. Hold on. Let me think of the name of it for a second. It was about, give me a second, Musashi. That was one of the book books. Book of Five Rings. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. The book's just called Musashi. It's okay. kind of, um, it's a big, thick book and it's about the life of Musashi and uh, his training techniques, but because of that book, then he also read a lot of those spinoff books, but a lot of those spinoff books have taken those lessons and spin it into business and, you know, yeah. things like that. But you can, you know, you can use that information everywhere you want, but Masashi was one of his, his really favorites. And he used to use a lot of quotes from that. Um, and I'd have to, I can even send you a list of some of his favorites if you want me to. Yeah, that'd be great. We'll put them in the show notes. Um, I just think that's, that's um, such an interesting part of it because you know, obviously the beauty of, about books is that we can all read that and read the same things that, that some of these super successful people did. I love uh, that question. That's cool, right? Well, I, I just was, honestly, I was just dying to know because he seems like a guy that I just, you would want to emulate. And so I'm like, all right, what the heck was he reading all the time? Because he had such a unique <laughs> outlook on life. Um, well, and then now, so, so after, uh, after Dave's passing, you started the Dave Schultz wrestling club and obviously you're still one of the most important people in the wrestling community. You're being inducted into the hall of fame this year. But this summer, you're hosting a clinic where you're bringing the Belglazov brothers <laughs> over from Russia and doing a uh, kind of like a, a road show for two months. Can you talk about that a little bit? <laughs> yeah, I can't stop doing this stuff. You know, once you're in wrestling, you just can't get out. So my, <laughs> my daughter, once I think when she was about eight, after Dave had died, she had her hands on her hips and she looked me squarely in the eyes. She goes, first, dad made us go to all this wrestling stuff. Now you make us go to the wrestling stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she just made a comment about it the other day, because when she asked, she's going to go to my Hall of Fame induction. So she said, again, really? Yeah. <laughs> she's funny. 
Um, you know, for me, I think one of the greatest things about wrestling is that we put human beings together without boundaries, without politics, and we just become friends. And that, you know, sits above and, uh, you know, on top of what we do as a sport, which is, you know, wrestling itself. But I think it really is something that makes us unique. And I'm very proud to have been part of that, you know, kind of world friendship organization that we all have. And I'm yeah. very fortunate to have been had friends all over the world who was good when Dave was alive and also provided support and kindness and, you know, friendship to my children. So I, I really like to keep those doors open. And um, Anatoly Belaglazov and Sergey Belaglazov have been friends since you know, I was, you know, 20 years old when I first met them at some tournament. And, you know, you, when you're at these, when you're at that level, you're at the same tournaments, you're at the World Cup, you're at the World Championships, you're at, you know, you see them five, six, seven times a year. Yep. And you just get to be friends because <clears throat> you're all in the same hotel together. You know, you're having dinner together, you're having lunch together, you're, you know, you're just interacting so much. So Anatoly's son, Alexi, who it's kind of fun because my, my son is an Alexander too. So we have, you know, Alexander. So I'm talking to Alexander uh, Belaglazov, and and uh, he said, hey, um, the brothers wondered if my dad and my uncle wondered if you might be able to set up a camp they could do in the U.S. And I've helped run camps before. I don't want to do that. <laughs> so I said, yeah. like, no. And I goes, but I think, you know, I could probably bring you over here and schedule you, you know, and in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, maybe five or six clinics, you know, maybe they do a day at some people's camps you know, kind of like Jay Robinson camp or, you know, whatever the camps yeah. are scheduled, they can do stuff like that. And so it went from my idea about five or six. We now have 22 stops in the U S starting <laughs> on May 19th and uh, continuing to July 8th. And at which point then they'll go to Canada and do a couple of more clinics up in Canada. So I've been talking to coaches and scheduling travel for the last three months. <laughs> so is- we're doing, we they start out. Yeah. They're going, they're in Sunnyvale, California. They're in Portland, Oregon. They're in Franklin, Illinois, Franklin Park, Illinois. So near Chicago, they're doing yep. three in New York. I mean, they're all over the country. So I'm really excited. I'll see them a couple times. I'm not going to be with them on the tour the whole time, but I'll meet them in Oklahoma because they happen to come in during my Hall of Fame induction. Um, and then I'll see them again down in California. And then they're going to stay at my house in Portland for about five days over the Fourth of July holiday and stuff. Wow, so, that's cool. Five it's really days. exciting. Wow. Um, and for the the for the folks who don't know who those um, who those guys are, uh, multiple time world, multiple time Olympic champions from the Soviet Union. Um, it, it's funny. I, I noticed that uh, the Schultz brothers and the Belglazovs were um, one, two of three, I think, who won world and Olympic titles. Um, right. I mean, just, just incredible. So, I mean, those guys, I mean, you're learning from the best. Um, and so where can, they, where can the listeners find information about that clinic if they want to? So if- I've been working with Dan McCune, who's the head coach of um, Fremont High School in Sunnyvale, California. And he has a website called wrestling.life and www.wrestling.life slash Bella Glazoff is where you can get all the information. Every one of the clinics is listed there. You can click on a link. You can go to it and register for directly for the clinic you want to go to right there. Okay. And Bella Glazov is B-E-L-O-G-L-A-Z-O-V for the listeners. You got it. Yeah. Um, really cool. Um, yeah. I, I it's just- very exciting to work with them on this because it's just grown. It was it's so successful. I noticed Alexi left me a note. He goes, I've got some thoughts on next year. And I was like, next year? Oh, my no. God. Well, I mean, for, for people listening, I saw the travel schedule, and it's 
you know, fly out of Chicago, land in uh, New York, you drive around three days there, then you fly to, you know, Oklahoma. So that's just, that's crazy. and so cool you're doing that. I know. I told him, I said, I'm really worried about you. And he said, we live in the Soviet Union and do these all the time. So we're not worried about it. You know, we live in Russia. So they're used to traveling. I I really was worried about them. I kept trying to book, you know, a couple days, you know, break between them. They're like, nope, book us up. (laughs) Those guys are, that's a different kind of tough over there. They don't, they're not worried about that kind of stuff. (laughs) Uh, Well, I think just the the last thing we'll say is, again, you, you got, you're getting inducted into the Hall of Fame this year. You know, what Hall of Fame is that? And, you know, what, what does that mean to you? Then we'll sign off here. Uh, I'm just, I am so humbled by that whole experience. You know, I, I just started thinking about they wanted a draft of my speech. And I, I really, you know, it's, it's, it's more about what people have done for me than anything I've done for wrestling. Because when Dave got killed, it's just, you know, it's obviously a horrible, horrible, traumatizing time in your life. And it was the wrestling people who stepped up and just literally carried me through that time, you know, mm-hmm. sitting in the courtroom with me, you know, where Dan Shade and Greg Alinsky and the guys from Foxcatcher going through the process and just, you know, helping me raise my kids. And I don't know, it's just been a tremendous ride, you know, through the friendship of the sport of wrestling has given to me. So for me, this is the greatest honor, the national wrestling, I'm being inducted in the national wrestling hall of fame under the order of merit, which is someone that did not compete in the sport, but gave back to it. Yep. And uh, that will be held in Stillwater, Oklahoma at the Hall of Fame weekend, um, honors weekend in June 1st through the 3rd, Stillwater, Oklahoma, this, this June. Powerful. Very exciting. Very um, powerful. I'm um, so honored. It's just, a, just an incredible thing. But I think it's, to me, it's, it's a couple years late just based on what you've done for the sport. I mean, you've, the, the, I mean we didn't really get into the Dave Schultz Wrestling Club or the Dave Schultz Tournament. But I think it's just, um, you know, I knew about you know, the things you were doing even when I was in middle school and didn't even know who Dave was. So I think it's, it's, uh, it's well-deserved and something that uh, I'm excited to see the, the speech and see it all go down. So um, thank you so much. Ron. Those my are kind words. I it. Any, uh, any last words for the, uh, the audience before we sign off here about um, wrestling, about Dave, about um, you know, just anything uh, you want to share before we sign off? Just thank you to all this big family of wrestling for all of the love and support I've been given over the years and check out the clinic. That's it. <laughs> check it out people. Well, Nancy, thank you so much. Um, we really appreciate you taking some time. Thanks Ryan. Have a nice day. And all great things must come to an end. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, give us a review, give us a rating and share this with your friends. It would mean the world to us. Thanks for listening to wrestling changed my life.